0: Welcome to the Assembly of Silence Radio Hour. And here we are. It's a new year. Come what may, we're going to have to deal with it. So, I thought maybe I'd shift it up and actually have the new season coincide with the new year just for variety and we have more new things to offer including this first video podcast episode and a new guest I'm pleased to welcome Aga Bahari to the Assembly of Silence He is a podcaster, host of the excellent Neo-Human podcast with many excellent guests and extremely interesting conversations covering a wide range of interests and subjects. And he's also a really interesting musician. So I encourage you to check out the podcast, his podcast, and also to... uh, check out his music. The links are provided in the show notes, and if you want to see us talk, I encourage you to go check out the video of this conversation, which is on the Assembly of Silence YouTube channel, for which there will also be a link in the show note description. Other than that, there's not much to say. This was a really interesting conversation very enjoyable and i hope you enjoy it too if you want to support these efforts you know what to do there are links in the show note description so there it is that's it nothing else need be said sit back relax and enjoy the show aga bahari that's pronounced correctly yeah yeah very good thanks
1: for uh thanks for agreeing to do this yeah my pleasure we're uh where did you came across me just out of curiosity?
0: I, uh, I tend to follow Jason reza Giorgiani. Oh, right on. So whenever he does something, you know, like if, uh, if I can find what he's uh, doing, I'll typically listen to most of whatever it is he's putting out there. Yeah. Uh, I find him to be a really interesting thinker. Although I, you know, I think most of the people who I find the most interesting, I tend to disagree with a lot. <laughs> So I have a lot of disagreements with him, but, uh, so yeah, that's how I, uh, that's how I got to find out about you. And I've checked into your podcast, Neo Human, which, uh, you have a lot of really interesting guests on. I don't know what's on your radar right now. My sense is that with the number of things that are happening in the world, no matter where we start, we're going to end up covering a lot of it. So I don't know if there's something in particular that, uh, that you've got going on right now or that you're thinking about that you'd like to
1: begin with yeah i'm good either way you know uh, the magic of this medium really is the ability to talk to anybody anywhere at any time and (laughs) uh, you know the interesting part of i would say the most interesting part of doing this to me is that we as you said we just talk about whatever and at some point we could get to a territory that is unknown to both of us right? Because I might have some kind of a perspective, you have some kind of a perspective and something new is being created as a result of the the interaction between the two. And yeah. I'm very interested in that. What comes out of that, that is unknown to me. And, you know, sometimes I'm surprised by it. Sometimes I'm surprised by my own way of thinking. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, we can, you know, we can talk about, it's hard not talk about politics right now being in the United <laughs> States, but What's interesting is everything is becoming software. And at some point, software will become artificial intelligence. So if you talk only about the topic of artificial intelligence, it will cover everything about human civilization if you have an honest discussion about it. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting topic. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. I mean, on some level, you
0: know, the everything in that statement like everything is software well not really but yes in terms of what's happening with humanity without a doubt everything is being trans transferred to whatever extent possible into this medium and yet the real world continues uh <laughs> you know and and it uh the degree to which there's what's a correlation the of real ah okay <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't mess around, do you? So, yeah, what is real? I mean, I know there's, there's a lot of problems with that, but we could say that fundamentally there are kind of nested realities. And we live, obviously, on a planet that doesn't really care about our software. I mean, our software is going to have an impact on the planet. But, you know, our planet isn't running on the software that we're developing we're living on this planet, no matter what we do. I guess supposedly you know if elon and and Bezos are successful, then we'll get off of this planet or they will <laughs> but uh the planet is is definitely not software at least not the kind of software that we're writing, and you can extend that as far as you like you know there's there's uh Biology that doesn't much care about the software that we're writing, and there's physics, and you know you can kind of go on from there. But having said that, yeah, the 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 uh, substance of human life has been largely overtaken by the software that's being written. I wouldn't argue with that at all.
1: Yeah, I think um, what you said about the software that we are writing, they might not be the same software. I agree with that. And also, the software that we are writing hasn't dominated yet because it has been around for a very short amount of time, relatively speaking. You know, this planet has been around for more than 4 billion years to the best of our knowledge, scientific knowledge. Something like that. yeah. Yeah. So digitization has really started less than a century ago. But because technology has an exponential rate of advancement and progress we don't really see the beginning of it. And by the time we become aware of it, it reaches that knee that will take a very sharp move of um, increasing of advancement. That if the advancement was happening once every couple of months, a couple of years ago now, it's happening once every couple of days. And at some point, it will turn into once every couple of seconds. And at that point, it doesn't really matter who we are and what we think about the software, but because our lives have become dependent on the software that we have developed, and this software has reached a point that is beyond our, the level of comprehension, biological comprehension, we will have a very in-depth and, I would argue, very bloody argument, whether or not we have to merge with that system and carry on as something post-human, beyond human, human plus, transhuman, whatever the name of it is going to be. It's irrelevant.
0: Neo-human, Or
1: are we going to, huh? Neo-human, perhaps. (laughs) Neo-human. Very uh, very interesting plug for my podcast right there. There you go. Um, (laughs) I appreciate it. Or are we going to stay this organic, analog human that we have defined and we have valued and identified based on, you know, our own systems that we have developed over a couple of centuries that, you know, include cultures and religions, even our sciences and arts and everything. All the tools that we have created to make sense out of this unknown and somehow create an objective goal an objective um, destination so we can define every other movements that we are making because we need a context to define what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. Otherwise, you know, everything just is, you know, just wind blows and leaves go to different places and everything else shifts because Mm -hmm. of it, because there is some kind of a balance of energy.
0: Well, it seems to me that that probably the point where we're having that conversation is right now, because by the time you get to the to the point where we really can't understand what's happening anymore, where the rate of change is so great that every millisecond the world is changing, uh, that's complete capture. It's done. We don't we don't have an option anymore because we can't make sense of anything. So the conversation uh, as to you know what our direction is from here, it, we may be kind of late at this point. Even you know judging from what people like. Uh, well, Musk and uh, Stephen Hawking also made some noise about how frightening AI was before he left this world. So it could seems be. to me, you know, it seems that yeah. quite likely. And you know, the thing about exponential change is that it's it's exponential until it isn't, right? So there's only so far that anything can can go before it hits some kind of a wall. And I don't know whether or not we could consider that to be the singularity. But there does seem to be some kind of a base. You know, we're kind of, I guess, quantum is is extending the range of processing power potentially. But what are the artifacts of that? Hard to say. But we were, you know, running up against Moore's law when it came to the 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 distances within these circuits that can allow for things to uh, increase in speed. So there are certain limits that we seem to be approaching and the consequences of exceeding those limits are unknown. You know, so I think your your point of bringing the unknown into the conversation is huge because, well, really, when it comes down to any philosophical conversation, if you're not talking about what's unknown, then it's not really a philosophical conversation. If you if you ask me,
1: I mean, philosophical and mathematical I had a guest named James Lindsay. He has a Ph.D. in mathematics, but over the past couple of years, he has dedicated his life to fight this virus of wokeness. Yeah, I've I've checked in with his work. It's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, he's a brilliant guy. I love him. And um, we had a we had a conversation. He's an atheist, and I used to identify as an atheist. Um, Interesting, but I've changed. Yeah, me too. Oh, that (laughs) that might be an interesting
0: thing to explore. Uh, Let's not go off on that now. But yeah, that's that's a very interesting
1: thing. So we talked about the concept of God and concept of unknown. And we talked about it from the perspective of mathematics. And he basically talked about the God that makes sense to him is the God that is defined on the infinity point, that it doesn't matter how large your numbers are there are always numbers much, 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 much larger than that number that we just don't know about, right? Right. So that dot, 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 you say like one, two, three, four, dot, 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 or whatever number, dot, dot, dot. He found God or the interpretation of this placeholder God for the unknown to be acceptable in that dot, dot, dot. So. (laughs) It's interesting. I disagree that there is a wall. There is a wall that we have built based on our own perspective and our own comprehension of the amount of information that we receive. But it's the unknown. And unknown is a very scary thing for most people for evolutionary reasons. And I think definition of prophets and messengers throughout our history are people who dare look into the unknown and bring something back with them. Because a right. lot of people get to experience the unknown. You know, all you just smoke DMT. You go into unknown. And, you know, what you get out of it and what you experience, that's a whole different kind of uh, story because that has nothing to do with the amount of psychedelics that you do. That that has everything to do with your inner, inner battle, ongoing battle with yourself. I don't know how much of what I'm saying makes sense, but there is a um, battle with yourself. <laughs> of course, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> and so... You know, we get to a point that is the unknown for us and it is the unknown beyond our ability, biologically speaking. Mm -hmm. And we don't really need to make sense out of everything, because if you're living in a hunter-gatherer kind of a lifestyle in, in the woods, all you have to be aware of is, you know, where is your next foods coming from? Where is the clean water? There's a really cool show called Alone that they leave a bunch of people in the wilderness, like 20 of them or something, and they have to just survive. They have to build shelter and find water and find food, and whoever lasts the longest is the winner, get like half a million dollars. It's really interesting because people get to, some people who stay longer than maybe 25, 30 days, they get to the very core of, hey, what is the definition of who I am? You know, what's the purpose of any of this? You know, because it's like a, you're peeling all these layers that you have gathered in order to fit within the structure of your society or your family or your religion or whatever. And when you get to the bare minimum of why you need to survive, then a lot of questions come up. And those are the very valuable questions that nobody teaches you. You know, those are the territories that most people don't even, they can't even imagine, you know, the point of going to a place that they're not comfortable with.
0: Are there any common uh, themes that you see happening when people are peeling away those layers? Is there sort of some uh, essential basis that people are confronted with that's pretty much the same between different people?
1: Yeah, depression and depression usually is something that is consistent because you go through different phases, but depression is like like a space in between all of those for a while. To what extent would that be an artifact
0: of having come from uh, a technological civilization and then kind of being placed in, in reality, let's say, for the first time? So having to struggle for your day-to-day survival within the context of a life that, that wasn't really an issue at all prior to that, right? At least not in the same way.
1: If you go and live in the wilderness, you mean?
0: I'm saying that the people who are participating in this program, the alone show, right? They all Mm -hmm. presumably, you know, part of civilization prior to, you know, being a competitor, right? So they're coming from the context of civilization, let's call it. And so to what extent might depression be an artifact of the a disjunct between that previous experience, which is really the root of their experience and the one that they're having on this show, which is getting them down to some down and dirty details that they probably had never even
1: considered before. Right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think every single one of them who had families at some point they broke because they missed their families. Huh. But there were people who were really good with their hands and they could build stuff and they've trained basically for this lifestyle for many, many years. If they didn't have family, I think especially two women that they were like, we can live here forever. You know, they were like, fine. They built a shelter. They, they were fishing, they built a net, like, you know, they were hunting and then building clothing out of the, they were really savvy with that kind of lifestyle and all was like, well, we can just live here forever. What was interesting was that even if the money was the motivator initially, it, it was not a motivator for them to stay where, where they were. Because they're like, I miss my family. Or they were like, well, I just already did it. I can live like this for years. So there is no point in continuing. And they would just call people to come pick them up. They didn't even care about the money. So, in both
0: cases, whether they were, you know, uh, able to deal with the surroundings or not, quite often the feeling was, well, what's the point of this?
1: Yeah. At some point, you get to that point. Why am I doing this?
0: Well, in in some ways, I would say that this is the kind of thing that would confront anyone that would decide not to live within the software.
1: Yeah, or anybody who is really honest with himself or herself. Right. You know? Because in in, in in a lot of ways, we're in autopilot mode. We're doing things because that's how they're supposed to be done. And we are operating on the basis of a context that most, most likely we haven't had much to do with creating it whatsoever. You know, you're born in a family, within a culture or religion or any kind of uh, approach to life, interpretation of life. And your values and your ideals are built based on that structure that you fell into.
0: Right but of course that would be true of any species right you you arrive if you like uh, in in conscious as a conscious being within some body in some species and it's in the environment that that species haps, happens to be living in or even that the the group within the species so there's a lot of different potential environments for us to all show up into and we have as far as i can tell pretty
1: much no say in that either so it's a
0: very natural no. circumstance
1: Yeah, so I would say for animals, it seems to me that most of what they learn have everything to do with their survival. With humans, it goes a little more beyond survival. It's also the matter of meaning, matter of having a shared objective, again, to evaluate moves and move towards it. So I was born in Iran, for example. I was one second old. I was already labeled as a Shia Muslim Iranian straight male. You know, none of those things had anything to do with my survival. None of it. If anything, they were against my survival because at some point I realized that Islam is not working for me. So I don't want to be Muslim anymore. But apostasy, leaving their religion in Islam is punishable by death. That's why I always wonder about this number 1.7 billion when westerners talk about oh there are 1.7 billion muslims I'm like how many millions of those are willing to leave the religion today if their lives were not threatened if they did not have a threat of alienation right right but it was placed on me because I was part of a collective I was part of a tribe when I was being born in that setup Right. And for a lot of people, is that, hey, why bother? You know, we just navigate our way through this and deal with it and live the best life that we can. You know, nice couch, nice house, nice car. But I would say some people, their DNA is the DNA of people who wander around and they ask questions and they're not satisfied with what they're given. And that's the biggest difference to me between humans and animals that we can opt out. Out of the situation that we are born into, psychologically, even physically, uh, emotionally, <clears throat> probably emotionally is the hardest of them all. But emotion is an instrument of ego. So that makes total sense. So it has to do with the um, reflexive property, the, the ability to, to see one's state. With our own tools. State. Yeah. With our tools, you know, and that's where technology becomes spiritual to me that well those we tools can be really evolved they can be either tools within consciousness or lit-
0: you know physical tools and that's where i would draw yeah. the distinction incidentally uh, just to get back to the other point of whether or not there's a limit like yeah consciously i don't think there is ever really a limit so the potential within that domain is endless but i think that the physical domain has hard limits that occur not only as a, as a result of the basics of the configuration of the physics of the universe, but also because of the transition points that happen when material is being converted to one form to another. You know, you you got opportunity within a certain range, a certain time frame, when the material is in one configuration and then whatever it is you're going to do to it is going to convert it into some other form. And that means that whatever it is you were doing before is going to have a, a limit placed on it. You know, that, that's
1: kind of, I think. Yeah, so Moore's, when, law, Moore's Law is a very good example of that. Yeah, that you mentioned. exactly. Yep. So we are, we are reaching the limit of silicon, but we've already made the leap towards quantum computation. But again, we don't know what exactly that's going to. No, we don't. You know. No, we don't. We ne- and we've never known. That's the thing. We have never known. They've they've always been, I bet, I guarantee, there have always been people who've said, this is all we need to have in our life, in our civilization. Um, And there were um, another group of people, much smaller, way more stubborn, who were like, well, I wonder what will happen if I do this. And I think that that that
0: group, that smaller group gets larger as environmental pressures come to bear. So it's like, for a while, you can have that, traditional majority saying you know what we've got this thing sorted out let's just keep doing it the way we've been doing it but then particularly if population continues to grow and if environmental conditions you know make it more difficult if resources dwindle or what have you then the motivation to uh, find a different way is yeah kind of kicks in
1: it becomes a necessity yeah absolutely yeah it's interesting that there is something within human nature that desires that because, you know, regardless of the scale, it can happen on a civilizational scale. It can also happen in a music band that, you know, <laughs> you're like five people in a band and one guitar player was like, you know, this has ha- happened to me maybe three times that, you know, we are in a band we're playing gigs and, you know, it's good. You get chicks, you get money, but, you know, you sort of wonder <laughs> well, what will happen if I add to these chord structure and make it a little more complex, Instead of four, four, I do like seven, eight. Times. <laughs> you won't get as many chicks. No, and then your band <laughs> members are like, "What's wrong with you, man? We're doing good. We're fine." Yeah, you know, you're telling us to practice more and earn less. Why? Why? Why would you do that? But you know, if you continue doing this and you get in, like an album together, and release that album, then it becomes something that they couldn't have even imagined. Something like this being created, and then you kind of up uh, up level. Upgrade, you maybe more open. Well, i might
0: yeah, I think that that's certainly a possibility. So it's a an upgrade. I have this theory that when it comes to consciousness versus material, there's kind of an inverse relationship. So the degree to which uh, consciousness is expanding is the degree to which your tethering to the to the material becomes more tenuous. And so you know, you could say like a band that's really focusing on uh, success, material success is going to be relatively slim on the musical side of things. But, um, you know, those who might be more, let's say, successful within the musical realm quite often don't really see a lot of material success. You know, there are maybe some good balance points in there somewhere. Uh, I know that there are some bands that are quite successful that I really like, and there's some really shitty music that I really like too that, you know, so you can't really completely dismiss all that simple stuff that, Makes the money. Some of it's great. Oh, absolutely. But when it
1: comes to consciousness expanding, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah, I'm I'm talking about from from the individual, I guess. Individual growth is not a good term, but individual evolution, kind of, yeah, a point. development. Because maybe. if if you if you have that itch within your brain to do something more, you are not going to be satisfied with having material success it has happened many times in the art world that you see that a lot of people they gain material success but because they've given up that freedom to be creative artists and do whatever they want to do they do a lot of other shit whether it's drugs or alcohol or whatever and they just lose all their money (laughs) that can happen they lose all their money and they've lost their chance to express themselves but there are some people who are perfectly happy with the material stuff, and that's perfectly fine. If you it goes back again to you, what, what is it that gives you the sense of freedom? Because it's about freedom. Happiness, I think, is is temporary. Yeah, and it happens here and there. But to sell it as an end product is a total scam.: Absolutely. Happiness is accidental. You know you're lucky if it just sort
0: of shows up in the middle of this or that. And that's the best way to approach it. Having it as a goal is an absurdity.
1: Yeah. And it's also when the goal is happiness, the price that you're paying for it is that 50% there's a chance that you're going to be sad because you're not going to be happy. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you've defined something that uh, guarantees misery for the rest of your life because happiness is not solid, is not objective. It's it's the perfect uh, shifting the goalposts. That if you are following a priest or following a spiritual guru or a politician, they can always change those goalposts until the day that you die and collect the money that you're sending them just to give you this drug that is hope, <laughs> that is the most powerful drug of all, that tomorrow is going to be better than today. There is no such a I thing I can't as believe better. that people keep <laughs> falling for the hope one. It's just, it's
0: unbelievable at this point. But yeah, I guess... We have buttons that, uh, that are pretty reliable when you push them. And particularly, I think, as things get more desperate and people feel more out of control, hope is what people cling to. So it's pretty simple, I guess, if you're able to convince them that you're going to offer them some hope. It's always a question of hope of what? You know, Obama's whole thing was hope and change, you know, <laughs> but
1: he didn't really say like what it was that the change was going to be. Yeah, they took they took the they took the name and uh, change. I would say change more than hope was something that a lot of people bought into with Obama, that things are going to be different. And people are like, I'm for that. You know, I'm done with war and all of that. And he scammed them. (laughs) And now, of course, now
0: they're running towards the status quo. Oh, yeah.
1: Now they're like, oh, give us back. (laughs) Yeah. Give us back, you know, old Joe. Yeah, I mean it's just insane. I I didn't I, I'm I will never believe that Joe Biden won this election, especially with 80 plus million votes. It's just insane. And obviously, United States as a republic is under attack by you know it really is not Democrat, Republican, right, left. It's globalist or nationalist. And that's where we are. And we'll see how this goes, but um, the United States definitely something is something worth fighting for. And the only person who had emerged who was willing to really like this, you know, idiot who would just love America. And I totally understand it because I was that guy for most of my life in Iran. Just, you know, I just love America. I do. I, it's just America is great. And Donald Trump is that person. And it's great. It's awesome. America first shouldn't be offensive to any person who's willing to live in the United States. Anybody who doesn't like it needs to get the fuck out of here, you know, and it's this openness of the system that, you know, I Ali, I said it to Jason Reza Giorgiani too, that, that quote, that tolerance of intolerance is cowardice. That's exactly what it is. You have to, again, going back to context, what is the American context? What is it that you want to be aligned, especially in this time when you have China, a centralized system that is not bound by any kind of a cultural or religious or ethical boundaries? How are you going to catch up with them if you're going to argue over who's going to use what bathroom? you know, Or whether or not you can defend yourself, whether or not private property is a good thing. You're going to lose like that when you have someone... Not a competitor, an enemy that is so focused and so on point, spot on with every move that they're making. Well, you just cannot. Here's compete the problem
0: like that. is that you know, coherency within a people is very much the measure of their strength. So, when you have liberty as a fundamental tenant of a political system, it becomes incredibly difficult to get coherency within that system, and we're seeing that ever more. You know, as time goes on, particularly as we have, let's let's face it, a lot of duplicitous actors who are uh, intentionally fomenting ever more division amongst the population. So we're in a real bind in many respects, because the, the basis of our political ideology makes it very difficult to resist the tactics that are being used against us. I don't claim to know, let's say, let's, you know, just to be completely uh, rigorous about this, I don't really have any knowledge of what happened in this election, but it sure is fishy that they lost seats in the house (laughs) and and prevailed in the presidency somehow, you know, just the whole way the thing played out, it's, it's
1: fishy. Look, there are, there are many hours of hearings on state level. Arizona, Pennsylvania, yep. Michigan, Georgia. But even, that you know, is all, there are even that is
0: all polluted with, uh, with
1: duplicitous actors fomenting confusion. Yeah, but the point is, if they really want a clean presidency, they have to be on top of it before the Trump team. To be like, hey, lo- look into as much as you want. We want this fair and square, and we want to govern without any kind of a headache. A poll came out today, Gallup poll came out today, that Donald Trump has passed the record of Barack Obama to be the most admired man (laughs) by Americans. It's incredible. Donald Trump is the most admired man. Michelle Obama (laughs) is the most admired woman. It is incredible. Joe Biden's uh, Donald Trump percentage is 18, I think. Joe Biden's percentage is six. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, they
0: picked the biggest duds. I mean, when it came to like actual democracy, they had a, a bunch of candidates that people actually liked who were running for that position. And they basically dismissed all of them and picked two of the worst of the bunch. I'm not aligned with either political party. I I basically hold the view that they're all corrupt at this point, you know, including Trump. You know, I, I, I go back and forth a little bit about whether or not he's a genuine actor. I just can't tell. You know, there's some of the statements that he makes are just so like, dude, why the fuck are you saying that? You know, except to play into the other side. And if you're doing that, well, then clearly the producers are telling you to do that. And he's a reality TV star, man. You know, so... He's he's
1: worked with producers for years. You know what I mean? So I think uh, the way to appreciate Donald Trump is to think of him as a psychedelic. (laughs) I did a segment about that. Are you
0: familiar with the with the uh, Allegro theory of Jesus?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. John Allegro. Yeah, it was a mushroom. Yeah. Okay. So, so Donald Trump as a psychedelic run with it, man. I'll tell you why I came to that conclusion. (laughs) I think it was April of 2019. Um, I used to do daily live streams and there were different segments. And in one of them, I came across this article on Fox news that Chelsea Handler, who is a comedian and she was never Trumper. Um, She said that she had such a big trouble with Trump winning that she she got uh, hooked on marijuana and she had to go to a psychiatrist for many months. But then she realized what really bothered her about Trump was the stuff about her own life that Trump was bringing up from her childhood. And I was like, that's it. That's exactly what happened to me with psychedelics. But the problem is she went right back to hating on Trump, to thinking of him as a man, not the spirit of what he was representing, which really is, you know, uh, we used to joke about when I was in film school in Vancouver with my roommate who we did a lot of psychedelics together, that how much acid would it take to put in a water source to just get everybody high on acid and make some kind of a fundamental change? And it wasn't that much, surprisingly, if you do the math. But... Donald Trump is that on a global scale. Nobody expected him and nobody expected him to remain in power for four years. And everybody just flabbergasted by him. You know, he has no shame. He has no ethical and moral high ground or a standard. He showed the world what he was all about after his inauguration, when he got out of the car in front of Trump Hotel. (laughs) in washington d c <laughs> you know that's the beautiful part about Trump that he does not give a fuck. he perhaps is a nihilist if uh, if it wasn't because of the brand of Trump because that's all he cares about. he cares about the brand Trump he's a representative of that brand yeah but when you have the other side Talking about hey, you know what? Ch- China, don't let j- just don't talk even talk about China. We want to talk about Russia <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because they've all sold out to the highest bidder. You know the news that came out with that Swalwell, with that Chinese spy, and all of those people. Donald Trump is like a is again. He's a psychedelic. He's a psychedelic. He has shown who we really are, who people really are, what the system really is made out of and we'll see, you know, we'll see where this whole thing well, is headed. That
0: yeah. says it right there. He, you know, what he shows is that the system is made out of brand loyalty and that, you know, branding is really a late stage of capitalism. You know, the basic infrastructure, right. what he harkens back to with his base is, you know, make America great again, which is, oh, the industrial strength, the world superpower You know, this kind of social cohesion that we felt World War II, I think, would be, you know, where the last time where we all banded together and kind of did something as a nation, you know? And so that kind of um, entrepreneurial and uh, patriotic spirit is something that has been lost. And in many respects, it's been lost because we went through that conversion from the raw material, let's get the job done, to let's see how much we can make from this, which is gaining an advantage which has to do with branding and advertising. And that's basically that's Trump's forte. He was there in that whole the middle of that game, pushing the real estate market on the basis of his name and then leveraging that in order to become a celebrity, which has nothing to do with any real work, right? He was the representation of American entrepreneurship and success, but it's a very mixed bag. You know, he's not like a hard knocks, made it from the bottom of the barrel American success story. And neither is he a guy who's had like really excellent record of uh, being able to do all the deals that he's made. He's had a mixed kind of, you know, Controversial, let's say, career, and um, and in many respects, that also I think is something where a lot of what happened with Trump was in the courts, as opposed to within you know making business happen. Like things were people were always being sued, and that that was a big part of the game, you know. And again, this is late stage civilization stuff, right? Because Earlier in a civilization, you're not going to have these like, well, it reminds me of maybe a good way to, to cap that is there's a Taoist phrase that says something along the lines of um, in the time of the big names, the day of reckoning is near.
1: Yeah, that's a good one.
0: And I think, you know, Trump is like he's got that stamp of like, dude, I have made the most of this name and this is what I stand by. And and so on some level, the, everything he represents to the people who are enthusiastic about bringing back America's greatness is is really just not what he actually is. That's not that's not who he's
1: been. Sad to say. So tr- Trump Trump is not perfect. Uh, magic mushroom grows on cow shit. <laughs> Yeah,
0: there's a similar Taoist phrase too. The best rice grows in shit.
1: Yep. Yeah, there, there you have it. So uh, you know, I don't think there, there is any, th- any such a thing as yeah, objectively good or bad person. You know, people are complex people who, you know, complex being who make decisions based on circumstances that they're dealing with. Absolutely, I agree. One hundred percent. Whatever is the, whatever is the intention behind that yeah that's for someone else to deal with i mean you know there
0: are also you know human weaknesses that arise given different circumstances that cause people to behave in ways that would be maybe we would hope for something other than that although if we were placed in the same position i'm not sure that we would behave much differently i think you know quite often yeah who knows who knows we just don't know no
1: we don't know um I want to go a little deeper about what he represents, though, because it has everything to do with where we are. Okay. Um, No, there is no sense of unity because most people don't have uh, skin in the game the way that they did in the 40s or the 50s. Most people, the younger generation, they can't even imagine owning a home or owning a land or anything like that. And it's interesting that their priorities is also designed by the system that is against them. T- tell me about that. I- I'd like you to hear you expand on that a little bit. Yeah, there's a quote by Gore Vidal that we don't even know what our cage looks like because we have never seen it from the outside. That's right. And this also goes back to simulation hypothesis that you know when we talk about reality could be a simulation. Uh, you know, we don't even have to go in a major scale. This reality that we are experiencing that is built around our culture and corporate ethical compass itself is a simulation, is is the very definition of a Truman Show, that you're fine for as long as you operate within it, but the moment you get out of it and see it from the outside, it's so ugly and so unfair and so corrupt that you will have difficulty going back to it without remembering what you've seen. But
0: I think it's it's really interesting to wonder the extent to which it could ever be any other way, because on some basic level, we're dealing with uh, competition that's pretty fucking ugly. If you take a look at human history, it ain't, th- there's no point that looks really good. You know, it's a, it's a bloodbath through most of it. And, and so the narratives that are necessary in order to bind people together so that they can have a good feeling about what they're doing while they're fucking shit up, uh, you know, how, how would you structure it, you know, without really changing the way the game is played?
1: Well, that's exactly is the point. That is exactly the point, the narrative, and that is exactly the point I was going to go a little deeper with respect to Trump, that Trump is the manifestation of the era of multiple narratives and democratization of creation, interpretation, and distribution of narratives with the use of smart devices and social media. Because before that, you had limited number of TV channels and newspapers who all We're giving you different interpretations of the same essence, same spirit, that there is a business going on in this country, military-industrial complex or whatever, and everything else should act according to that business. There shouldn't be any kind of a disruption. There shouldn't be any kind of a sudden movements and all of that. And that narrative created for American people for many, many decades. Before that, there were limited radio channels, limited newspapers. So we are in a very, very interesting point and we have absolutely no idea what the fuck <laughs> we're doing. I use the expression we're monkeys with machine guns. Yeah. That's what we are. There's a number of really interesting ways of characterizing this. And one like
0: traditional way of looking at it would be that this is New Babylon, you know, the confusion of tongues, the inability of people to understand what each other are saying you know, such a such a multiplicity of yeah. points of view that no one's able to get anything done and the tower falls, right? So that's one possibility. Yeah. Another one is that we're, you know, we're brushing up against reality, more kind of like that alone, you know, in, in, in an intellectual sense, in consciousness, we're being confronted with some really elemental things that have to do with sense-making and that contradiction is fundamentally a monkey wrench inside of sense-making and yet at the same time contradiction is real and true there's a way in which the the basis of things that are actually occurring in the world that we perceive have contradictory aspects to them and yet we don't have a sense-making capability that knows how to embrace contradiction i don't know if you're familiar with um with um, astrology at all, but uh, I work with it a little bit. And one of the things that I find really interesting is the relationship between Gemini and Sagittarius, which happen to be opposite to each other in the chart. Sagittarius is associated with the sage, someone who has knowledge, is able to peer into the meaning of things. And opposite to that is Gemini. Gemini is far more fundamental. It's an uncomfortable split. I describe it as a seed, which has germinated, part of it is reaching up towards the sun, and part of it is digging down into the ground. So it has it's one thing, but it's completely at disagreement within itself as to which way it needs to go. And that's what needs to happen in order for development to occur. That's the basis for all energetic uh, phenomena, for all life, you could say. And those two things are opposite to each other. And and we have a very difficult time within the realm of knowing, of knowledge and understanding, coming to grips with this very basic kind of polarity. And on a certain level, that's what we're being confronted with in in cyberspace. You could say that all of these different narratives now are coming together and we're seeing all the threads and we're seeing the way in which, oh, there's a little bit of sense over there, there's a little bit of sense over there, but those two things don't get together. You know, it's how do you how do you bring all of that together into a coherent narrative that that can can help us to return to functionality?
1: Uh, so that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Things are going to get much weirder. I tend to agree with you,
0: although although I think that the effort that I'm making here, and I don't know whether you feel like you're doing this, too, is to somehow or another bridge that to somehow or another uh, transcend the continued disintegration of things. Although I I do tend to agree with you that maybe that's a fool's errand. I don't know whether you feel like that's part of what you're doing in, in your work online here, but that's certainly part of what's motivated me to do this. Although quite often now I feel like, well, am I just spinning my wheels? Is this really worth the effort? I still think it's important. I really treasure these kinds of conversations. And um And, you know, God willing, maybe it will have a beneficial effect. But often I wonder, it just seems like there's an awful lot baked into the pie right now. Well,
1: the podcast and the podcast uh, topic, I really am doing it for selfish reasons. I enjoy those conversations immensely. And there is no other opportunity for me to, for example, sit and talk for an hour with John McAfee or Michio Kaku. Oh, I got to check out the John McAfee. I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, it's just it's insane, you know, and, you know, John McAfee, I think he was like episode 60 something. So I've done like 60 episodes, but I still had like butterfly in my stomach before it. (laughs) And I was like, dude, I I better cancel this. I don't know. Like, but I went through it. And on the other side, I was like, this is the greatest shit I've ever done in my life. Like, this is awesome. I can't see myself stopping ever. Like, I want to talk to anybody. You know, I can sit and talk to a homeless person in San Francisco to the anger of my girlfriend for like 20 minutes. (laughs) And the guy reveals things that you were like, why are you telling me these kind of things? But then I follow my own philosophical framework called egology. I
0: was going to ask you about that because I looked that up and it's very interesting.
1: So my... Mission in life for myself is to receive information, create information, and share information in order to understand the nature of God that I am a projection of it, and so is everything else. And this goes back to defining the energy as opposite, because I don't see it as opposite. I see both of them as part of the same thing. Amen. It's just the third law of motion that any action has equal and opposite reaction, and that is defined within the context of energy. Right. We define it for ourselves as opposite or in favor, you know, good and bad, right and wrong. So yeah, that structure is falling apart because it is not a natural structure. It's a structure that we have built as a tool and it has worked for as long as it has, but we have absolutely no chance (laughs) of determining and establishing that narrative as a superior narrative in the age of artificial intelligence and democratization of information and social media, that basically every single human being experiencing life on this planet would have a very different interpretation of it if we were experiencing it as parts of a whole. It's like waves in the ocean. You know, there are different shapes, different forms, in a very impermanent kind of a way, but they're all part of a bigger body of this water. So that's how I see it. you know. And there are times that I obviously feel that, hey, this is bad, this is good, this is right, this is wrong. But then I have to wonder that battle that I'm saying that you constantly go with it, that at some point it's not a battle anymore. It's kind of like, yeah, it's it's a mutual understanding that what what is it that is triggering me to define this thing as right or wrong, as good or bad, you know, because there's always something about me. It's not something about that thing. Otherwise, you know, things just happen. Well, I think that you really spelled out a beautiful spiritual message that that
0: is, I agree, the core of all real spiritual paths. And, you know, part of what I'm tempted to say now is that, you know, all of the political considerations are in many respects opposite to that because politics is always uh, creating that division. It's, it's, it's very difficult not to want to condemn whatever it is you see as being evil. Within the context of what we see happening right now, there are a lot of players that are easy to want to condemn. And there's so many different people who, who, uh, who you could choose to demonize in that way. Everyone has their favorites, <laughs> you know, and immediately it takes you out of that realm where you're considering the, uh, the possibilities that would create the framework, like st- stepping outside of, uh, of the medium within which you're in. I can't remember the a- analogy used before, but it's perfect. Kind of like the, 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 no one sees the prison that they're contained when that Gore Vidal quote that you had. Uh, so the ability to step out of that is to not take that oppositional position. I think you're absolutely right that the opposition is a false way of describing it. But on the other hand, it's a very natural way of taking a stance because we get back to this struggle within nature. We have, you know, material needs and we come up against conflicts. And so we take a stance against in order to be able to prevail. It's an incredibly basic natural urge. So to some extent, it's built into the biology. And, and that's why, again, I think, you know, material and spiritual domains have this kind of inverse relationship to each other. So we're being pushed towards the spiritual domain in a certain sense now because of what we're confronted with. And also recognizing, like, the people in Alone who are participating, they get to this point where it's like, I'm just struggling for survival, and this is pointless, Right. So on some level, I think yeah. humanity is starting to get to this point. Like one of the things we talk about in Chinese medicine is that there's an overall decline in what's called the Jing. The kidney Jing is considered the, the, the kind of basic wellspring of energy that the body has to work with. It's considered ancestral. You inherit it over time, but it gets depleted over time. And they're noticing that more and more people are having kidney Jing, shoot, uh, kidney deficiency. And so in a certain sense, we're like kind of getting to the end of some part of the narrative, you could say, and at the same time that the physical um, structure of our species is starting to um, lose its essential power. I mean, we know that, that most of us are a, sh- a shadow compared to people 100 years ago in terms of their physical endurance and and all that kind of thing they may not have lived as long but they were tough you know and um and when you go back and consider what they did in the ancient world wow you know that's some pretty heavy duty fortitude um so we're we're getting to this point now where there's kind of like a crossing of the lines where where as the decline of the of the physical manifestation of the species happens, the ascension of the spiritual. And it, it's difficult to not get, um, you know, it, none of us want to die. It's kind of one of the most fundamental things. Like, even though we may recognize that it's kind of pointless to just fight it out, Uh, and struggle to survive on this subsistence level that they take you to on these programs when you go out into the jungle and they dump you there with a camera. (laughs) We may recognize that, but that's not like, oh, okay, well, I'm ready to go. Thank you very much. I'm done. You know, there's still this sense of like, there's something here to be done. And the question is, well, what is that? What are we here? What are we here for? What do we need to do in order to make to fulfill the gift that we were given in this life? That's the question that I'm always confronted with.
1: Yeah, well, that's a fundamental question that um, a lot of people throughout our history try to come up with the answer and direct people uh, towards certain kind of a direction. But I believe if it's centralized, it's not natural, And when it's centralized, it's a concentration of power and inevitably it'll become corrupted. Um, I don't think that we are being pushed towards anything. It's just that, you know, the, the essence of reality, I would, I would say it's consciousness and it manifests itself in a decentralized kind of a manner. It's like water. You can't block the way of water for maybe a century, but eventually it will break through that barrier and fill everything up. And we're dealing with that right now. I think that's true. But I think it's also like
0: if we're clear about defining the domains that we're talking about when it comes to consciousness, absolutely. But when it comes to the material world, we are kind of being pushed in various ways if we're not willing to die. So in order to continue, there are various things we have to do and we are pushed in order to fulfill those things. And also, I think in the software world that we're inhabiting, even if it's only on the basis of censorship, we are being pushed in a certain way. So the various manipulations that are happening here, like whether or not this video, when I upload it, is going to be demonetized or they're going to shut down search engine results that might have it in it.
1: Well, it's done by humans. Yeah. It's pushing us in various ways, though. Right. We're 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 being. Yeah, but that shouldn't be that shouldn't be a surprise. We were being pushed by the church for many centuries. We were being, you know, people in the Middle East are being uh, pushed by interpretation of political Islam in that region. Absolutely. And we're being pushed by interpretations of big tech and, uh, you know, government that now, if the centralized government and centralized big tech merge together, and it seems to be inevitable, and that would be the only option available to humanity, that would be the most disastrous kind of an outcome for human spirit and liberty and all of these things that we talk about that fundamentally their values. You know, we can argue that, you know, it is what it is, but obviously it's better to be free than being in prison. Yes, but are we free? Um, Are we really free? Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. Relatively speaking, you're more free than- Have we we ever been really free? I don't even uh, think we understand the definition of real free. Well, I think there's two domains again, you know, that
0: we have have spiritual freedom in, in terms of our- Willingness and ability to to consciously explore all possibilities that arise within the psyche, if you like, something along those lines. And then we have the sort of material freedom. Are we like in chains, unable to move about and make the best of whatever it is our circumstance is? Those are those are different stories, I think. On some basic level, I think freedom is all, always fundamentally in within consciousness.
1: Material freedom sounds a little oxymoronic. Though, yeah, I think so. Material material is, um, the essence of material is certainty. You can't buy something, like you can't buy a piece of furniture and the guy is like, you know, it looks like this now. I don't know what it looks like in three days. <laughs> yeah. But that's the essence of freedom. <laughs> well, it seems like
0: the, the, from my point of view, the the essence of material is change. That that material is ever going through these configurations of of uh, matter and energy, and that you're you're always going to inevitably end up with it being a, a completely different thing, with a whole bunch of byproducts and stuff like that that you didn't anticipate. All of that is. A tough thing to to navigate. The reason why science places so much emphasis on the ability to predict is because we want to try to manage the configurations that are happening within the material domain. But, you know, quite often, whatever it is that we figure out has a bunch of unintended consequences that down the line cause more problems.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So. It seems to me that when we're really talking about freedom it's always within the domain of consciousness that that's really the only and in a certain sense it gets back to this idea that everyone has their own personal relationship with god. Yes,
1: and also I think it's extremely important within this context to realize the importance of that in god we trust at the back of the US dollar. That if you're not familiar with what we were talking about you're like well you should take it away because some people don't believe in god and that's offensive to them. But a far bigger meaning of that is that your most basic rights that has been recognized by the u.s constitution as god-given or natural they are not to be messed with by the government by the state and i think that's where we are that you have a centralized very successful system in the form of uh, the chinese communist party who rely on surveillance on social credit system that is completely possible on a global scale by the use of technology centralized technology maybe we can um interpret that based on what you said into a material kind of a freedom that we will have everything we would ever want materially speaking but we would not have the chance to explore the depth of the unknown that our consciousness is the direct link to it this experience that we are having the self-experience that we are having of this life this unique experience and interpretation is only a part of the bigger stream if we're thinking like that you can define it as god or whatever then the other direction other kind of um certainty that is being provided by central big governments and states is completely in contradiction to that and I think that's where we are. And it's really interesting that psychedelics are uh, about to become legalized, because if we think that we now have problem with uh, differences of interpretation and narratives, just wait until some of these people get hooked on some heavy <laughs> and they become okay to talk about it and manifest it. You know, it's really interesting times. Ahead. Absolutely. I completely
0: agree. You know, we're actually at kind of an interesting pivot point right now in terms of this episode because we've already spoken for an hour. And yet at the same time, we're on the precipice of, I think, some of the most important and interesting material, uh, there are things to discuss here that, um, will probably take another hour to do justice to. So I'm wondering whether, you know, if, if, if we were to to wrap it up now, could I, uh, get assurances from you that we can follow this up with another discussion or should we just go for it now? And then I'm confronted with two hours to figure out how to edit because no one's going to (laughs) fucking listen to two hours. I know it's a stretch even to get people to listen to an hour.
1: So uh, what do you say, my friend? Well uh, uh, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um I think maybe we wrap it up here and you see if uh, some of your listeners have any kind of a question or perspective or interpretation of what we talked about. Uh, maybe we can talk about I'll be happy to come back on your show. Well, I'll just maybe for another episode. I'll just make a
0: little footnote here so that we have kind of a reference point but I think the thing that's most interesting is to really delve into the CCP and its model for structuring civilization compared to the one that we're working with here. And my belief is that we can actually point to evolutionary biology as an indicator of what it is that's going on here, that there's, there's actually a deep history precedent for what's happening. And then the question of individual how shall we put it? Autonomy, the sense of being of the individual within these different systems, and perhaps like the prophetic tradition in terms of the concept of the abomination of desolation from Daniel, for instance. These are, mm. these are all things that I think are deeply linked and, and would make for a really interesting follow-up. So I hope I can convince you to do that at some point. And I can't thank you enough for doing this. It was really a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Likewise. We'll uh, talk to you again in the future and uh, take care. God bless.
1: Okay. Thank you. You too. for listening. We look forward to serving you again soon. In the meantime, remember turn that thing over a few times before you pick it up and take it home.